Is it possible to have faith and doubt at the same time? Can they coexist? Dr. Peter Kreft says that doubt in the spiritual life is like a sparring partner. It challenges us to push us deeper. And when we look at sacred scripture, Israel, the very name of the land of the people of God, means to wrestle with God. And this is something universal, which means that God has a purpose for it. And we will explore just what that purpose might be next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Hello and happy Thursday. This is The Inner Life where we offer spiritual direction for your life of faith today. It's Brooke Taylor in for Patrick Conley. And our topic today is doubt. Our spiritual director is Father Ethan Southard, a priest of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, Father Pastor also of St. John Eudes Church in Chatsworth, California. Thank you so much for being with us this hour, Father. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brooke. Um, it's great to be with you, and thanks for having me on. Um, it's, I think this is our first time uh, getting a chance to share, so I'm, I'm grateful to, to be able to share the program with you today. Yes, praying for Holy Spirit grace is here. And, and as we get underway, I also want to give our phone lines. Our studio line is one 914 Has doubt been your sparring partner? Father is with us for the hour as we work through, peel back the layers of this question. And leading off is the patron saint of doubters, St. Thomas, our tender St. Thomas, who I think at one time or another, we can all mystically stand beside and relate to. And so, Father, I thought we would begin there with that scripture, that theme that we'll kind of build around today. And that is the Gospel of St. John, chapter 20, 19 through 21. And it goes like this. Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail mark and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believe. And then the reaction of St. Thomas, one of the most splendid professions of faith, I think, of the New Testament, he says, "My exclaims, my Lord and my God. And there's so much there. Father Ethan, can you walk us through some of the dynamics of this account that we just heard again? Sure. Well, like you said, there's so much there to unpack. I mean, that little snapshot, I think, is um, really just, I think that encapsulates our faith journey. And as you started off with that quote from from uh, Peter Kraft about you know the wrestling with God and um, a friend of mine almost uh, you know believes that um, you know doubt is almost uh, the baseline uh, for for our faith journey. Um, so there's there's this whole movement of you know what is my belief quote unquote my belief. Uh, and and what is God doing? What is God's belief? What is God's faith? And so Thomas is really wrestling with that, w- wrestling with his own ideas of who Jesus is, and you know who the Messiah is, and who the Messiah is supposed to be, and you know even the possibility of re- the resurrection, um, and just you know wrestling with you know the whole the trauma of the crucifixion. Um, and processing all of that, 
So all of that is at play, all of the doubts, all of the, the shame, the, you know, the being let down. Um, and, and then here is the resurrection, and you could almost feel uh, Thomas just being exhausted. <laughs> it's kind of like, I followed you for three years. You know, I followed, I believed, I had my hopes lifted, and, and then they're crushed, and I'm just exhausted. And it's at that place, you know, that Jesus, as we heard in the second part of the passage in John, um, where he's able to actually, um, you know, Jesus says, put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And it's, it's then that there's this opening that, that Thomas is drawn into the side, into the heart of Christ. And he's actually able to say, my Lord and my God, but it's not, you know, true faith uh, is not our faith. You know, true faith is a gift from God, and that's a, a gift of the inner relationship of God. So faith, we're being drawn into that relationship. We're being drawn into that gift uh, that God has. So, so the faith is a theological virtue, and it's our opening into the divine. So we can't make the divine happen. Thomas couldn't actually have that faith to believe in the resurrection. That's crazy. But God's own spirit was actually starting to come up within Thomas, within his spirit. And as St. Paul says in, in Romans, he says that it's actually God's own spirit, which starts to convict and starts to move. And it's Christ within Thomas that's able to have that faith where he could say, my Lord and my God. So there, <laughs> there's a whole lot happening there, Brooke. Yeah, and it just opens up all these other doorways, too, because I'm, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about spiritual development, our stages of purgative, illuminative, unitive, and, and why God allows doubt. I'm thinking, of course, spiritual combat. But then you also use the phrase, he was let down. And I think, too, of how often in our own spiritual life, this the hypocrisy, I guess, of people that we trust or we believe that they believe. And then when we see cracks, like, oh, well, maybe they don't believe this because they're not living it out, or there's a scandal. I, I, how much, I mean, it's worth acknowledging the impact of iniquity on the spiritual life and how the darkness that we see absolutely can impact our faith and cause us to doubt. And that could be the world around us and what we see with even like the extraterrestrials and, oh, well, this 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 shakes everything that I believe and is this all possible? And then you question everything to, of course, the evils of abortion and child trafficking and abuse and and all of these that might challenge us deeply then cause us to doubt but kind of going back to to your point that doubt is not incompatible with the spiritual life aquinas talked about this all the time of course the great philosophers grapple and talk about this and develop this so much but faith and reason and there are limits to knowledge like we can accept there are some levels we cannot just have absolute certitude in when it comes to knowledge. It doesn't matter if you're the most expert in your field. And there are whole realms of reality where knowledge is limited. For example, human affairs, even the best algorithm in the world can't yet predict what we might say or do at any given moment. And so I think part of being rational then is accepting by degrees that we can't know everything. And there are sometimes going to be incompatibilities 
And that's part of being human. That's the drama of being human. But also, do you think we have, Father, a harder time today embracing mystery and being okay with not knowing? Mm. Uh, well, I, I'm just reminded of, of Psalm 36, 10. So Psalm 36, 10 says that in his light, we see light. So it's in his light, we see light. So um, there's this, um, how precious is your mercy, O God? The children of Adam take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the rich food of your house. From your delightful stream, you give them drink. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So there's this, you know, we could see things in this world with the light of the sun or with our own eyes. And we see things, you know, maybe even according to our own uh, filters and with our own backgrounds. And we could start to make judgments and we see things the way of this world or the way, you know, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 3. We, everybody knows 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But a little bit uh, just after that, we hear just our own, what our own light is, what our light, not God's light, but what our light is. So 3.18, whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So our disposition, the light that we normally see because of our iniquity, because of our brokenness, because of our wounded human nature, is that we, we look on the world uh, through our own eyes and our own judgment, and we have competition, all the, the power of the evil one, you know, the envy and the jealousy and all of that stuff. But when we actually start to see in God's light, when he gives us his own spirit, so Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. So it's not a seeing in the light of this world, but it's actually God's own light of faith that we start to see others with. And so then we start, that's what was happening with Thomas, where he stopped seeing from the way of this world, and then he was actually being drawn by God's, by Christ's own spirit within him, giving him faith to actually be able to see and to believe. So it was God within Thomas that was actually saying, my Lord and my God. It wasn't Thomas's own faith. It was that gift of God that was enabling Thomas to participate with that proclamation. And so, like you were saying, Brooke, you know, our own doubts, our own struggles, our own uh, disappointments, you know, whether it's with the leaders in the church or in the world or whatever that may be, our own expectations of the way things should be. So sometimes we have so much energy and we're running and pushing and forcing and trying to make our own idea of the way the church should be or the world should be. 
and then we get disappointed. <laughs> and then that's actually a good place. Yeah. Because that is the poverty in spirit. That's the humility. And we actually start giving God a chance to reveal who he is and the plans that he has for our lives and for the world. Remember uh, Zechariah, when the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, oh, you're going to have the son and your wife is going to be. And then what was Zechariah's response? Oh, that's impossible. And, you know, just that whole inner attitude. And he got put in a timeout. So his attitude was actually not participating in what God was doing. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he said the exact same thing. He says, you're going to be with child. Mary's response was the exact same words as what Zechariah said in the scripture. It's the exact same words. How could this be? Except her attitude, her inner disposition wasn't fighting or doubting or interrupting. It was actually, there was a disposition and openness to be drawn into what God was doing. So I think that's, that's really the big difference is what is our inner disposition and are we open to participate in the life of God? Is there a humility? Is there a poverty in spirit where God's spirit could actually start to move within us? Or are we going to be put in a timeout like Zechariah and have to just wait a little bit until all of that extra energy starts to, to burn away? Zechariah took him about nine months, but then his mouth was open. He says, oh, no, his name's John. <laughs> he, he started to believe. He says, believe. They said, his name's Zechariah. He says, no, 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 no. His name's John. <laughs> <laughs> and boy, there's just, as, as you're talking about that, and pride. I mean, yes, so much there and woundedness. You talked about Father Ethan Southern is here, a priest from the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, pastor of St. John Youth's Church in Chatsworth, California. We're talking about doubt, and so analyzing all of that, but also there's this great um, uh, analogy that I heard about when you see a child growing up in a family, and that child has a loving home and a deep sense that they're loved and secure, confidence that they're cared for, they're wanted, then all kinds of things can be worked out and surmounted. Yes, trials will come, challenges, sometimes tragedies, but they are beginning from the place of knowing the security of a family who loves them. But when a child comes to feel that they are not deeply loved or they are not wanted, when they're not protected, when they're not cared for, that can have a devastating impact on the soul because there perhaps is this untruth planted that there isn't ultimate love in the universe, that everything is cold, that you are alone, that God is indifferent. And it's really heartbreaking because I feel like more and more people are coming to this conclusion and you offering these beautiful teachings of whether it's Zechariah or looking more deeply at Thomas, but so many are not even introduced to the beauty of redemptive suffering or the truth that God, Psalm 129 or 139, loves you and made every hair on your head, knows every word before you speak it. And in those situations, what do you think, Father, are some ways that we can overcome doubt? Because what happens maybe is our hearts get hardened or our perspective isn't rightly ordered or oriented in the first place, and people may not even realize it or have recognized that. Where do we start in that case? Mm. Well, um, as you were sharing, um, I was just reminded of a study from World War II 
uh, some of the, the survivors from World War II in England. And this was at the time when uh, Germany was doing some night raids. They were bombing England. And so England went on a, a blackout. So they, you know, they turned all their lights out and then London needed to be evacuated. And so there were, um, there was a study on how uh, some of the children who were present during those bombings, how they um, were able to process all of that. And they found that um, many of the children were traumatized. You know, obviously that's, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. Oh my gosh, we're being bombed. And so those children grew up with, with those types of patterns and behaviors and fear and anxiety and, you know, the, the traumatic uh, disorders. Um, but there were actually, there were some children who came through that whole traumatic experience totally, you know, uh, able to adapt to the rest of the world. And what they found was that uh, those children, as the bombings were happening, the parents, they maintained this safe space this sanctuary, this inner sanctuary. So even though the outer world was being bombed and ravaged and they needed to evacuate, they made it a game. And so they said, okay, come on, kids, we're going to pack up and we're going to go on an adventure. And so we got to go out and we're going to do it in the dark and grab your things and we got to move quick. Let's see how fast we can get out of you know, the house and let's see how fast we can get to the next place. And so the, the children weren't worried about what was happening on the outside world they were actually feeding from that inner life from their parents. And they could just tell, oh, mom and dad are here. Everything's going to be fine. And so they were well-adjusted. And they were able to go through the rest of their lives through difficult moments, knowing they had that deep rooting in the certainty and, and the love of God. And so um, that's what I'm, I'm reminded of. And I think, you know, in our own faith journey, too, you know, we all go through those, those different moments. I'm also, you know, reminded of um, Jesus in the Garden in Gethsemane. You know, so right before the betrayal, he was there and he was praying. And so he was drawing forth and he was inviting his disciples into prayer as well. He says, come on, you guys, pray with me, pray, pray. And so he was drawing forth that inner security from his heavenly father. Mm. And so he was spending that time just resting with his, with his heavenly father just coming into union, letting the Father's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to strengthen and to nourish and to empower Jesus. And so when the betrayal came, and then when he was drawn into, you know, the scourging and ultimately the crucifixion, he was able to respond by absorbing all the hatred. But as, as we found out, you know, right when the soldiers came, how did Peter respond? Peter came and he cut somebody's ear off. <laughs> so he took, he took a sword and so he said, oh, I'm going to, I'll show you who's got the better faith. His, his faith became weaponized. Hmm. And so uh, in Ephesians uh, 6, 16, uh, so we're told in all circumstances, hold faith as a shield to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So all of those, all of those uh, flaming arrows, the, the power of hatred, competition, pride. So our faith can actually start to absorb all of that. Faith doesn't become weaponized. Faith is actually absorbing all of that anger and all of that, that nastiness. Uh, 
Jesus was, was able to actually absorb all of that on the cross for all of the world, all of history. He absorbed all of that out of the system. And so that's, he's inviting us into that place too. But the only way for us to do that is like you were saying, Brooke, is for us to have that inner security that we are loved, that God loves us, even if the whole world is falling apart, even if all of our hopes and desires and dreams and everything is just going, you know, to hell, that we we know that that God is love and that we are loved in him. But that can only come from his own spirit. I want to hold that point and go back to that, what you said about Ephesians and the, the shield and touch on that with regards to spiritual combat and doubt when we come back we have to take a quick break here on the inner life and oh also father since you brought it up about the children and the love of the parents surmounting all of these difficult tragic days during world war ii i have to mention a great movie if you haven't seen it it's life is beautiful and i think such a great demonstration of what you just said father ethan about this magnanimous love love into folly love until you lay your life down that roberto benini uh demonstrates and his it came out in like 97 did you see the film father uh, i'm embarrassed i haven't seen it but i think it won the academy award if i'm not mistaken okay yeah. i hope i hope i mean it's so good and it was it was academy <laughs> award and he, in fact he even stood on the chairs of <laughs> what he was so That's excited right. because he won but yeah what right. a great it is such a redemptive film and as you talk about i think it really comes to life what you just said so we'll revisit that and much more when we come back quick break here on the inner life the phone lines are open if you'd like to join the conversation our topic is doubt our spiritual director is father ethan Souther today helping us to understand doubt is universal it's not something to be feared or denied it's part of the human condition that leads one ultimately to truth he who is true truth, as Father reminds us. And Cardinal Seurat says that doubt is a moment of purification and strengthening. When have you kept hoping, even when you felt our Lord was asleep or absent altogether, have you come through the other side of doubt? And maybe you're there now. one 914 is the best way to join the conversation. Our studio line is open, and our spiritual director is with us for the hour. My name is Brooke Taylor. In for Patrick Conley. More to come here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the app. We'll be right back after the break. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at RelevantRadio.com slash quest. Welcome back to The Inner Life. Our topic today is doubt. Doubt in the spiritual life. We started by recalling the proverbial scene of the doubting Thomas uh, that occurred eight days after Easter. At first, he did not believe that Jesus had appeared in his absence, and he said, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. And so for that reason, our beloved St. Thomas is the patron saint of doubters and skeptics and cynics. And Pope Benedict XVI, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, wrote about this and this particular gospel, this account saying that the Apostle Thomas's case is important for three critical reasons. One, it comforts us in our insecurity. Two, because it shows us that every doubt can lead to an outcome brighter than any uncertainty. And lastly, because the words that Jesus addressed to him remind us of the true meaning of the mature faith 
and encourages us to persevere despite the difficulty along the journey to him. So helping us understand, embrace, explain that journey as our spiritual director today, Father Ethan Southern. Father Ethan is a priest of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, pastor of St. John Youth's Church in Chatsworth, California. Welcome back to the program. I'm Brooke Taylor in for Patrick Conley. And our phone lines are open if you'd like to share a reflection, a personal story about doubt. There is so much there. one 914 Father, I wanted to ask you, about looking at the whole person because there's a psychology, there's our will, there's our intellect, there's our emotion. And sometimes we can't always trust our feelings and they come and go, but for the feeling of doubt in the emotion, maybe we're feeling doubt. I don't have that consolation when I go to mass. I don't feel that our Lord is present when I receive him in the blessed sacrament and communion. And those kind of doubts that might be more of the feelings that pass how do we work through those doubts? That's a great question. And, um, you know, like you're, you're sharing, you know, the human person, you know, we're, we're made up of, you know, the, the mind, the body, and the spirit. Um, and so when we, when in our, our humanity, um, the psychology is a big part of that. And so those feelings, how do we reconcile all the feelings that we may be, be feeling? God is drawing us actually to a place, again, that poverty of spirit, where, um, where sometimes we actually start to feel weak, where we, we don't have that certainty, or we don't have all of those, those um, positive or warm, fuzzy feelings. And, and so then we're left kind of abandoned or wondering, is this real? And we could start to think, oh, am I doing something wrong? We, we doubt our faith, or maybe we doubt... Um, our own selves, and that's actually a, a good thing, a good place to be. Um, not that we want to stay there permanently, but but you know, even Jesus, when he was on uh, when he was on the cross, he cried out. He says, "You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" So Jesus fully entered into the human experience. God fully entered into the human experience in Jesus, and. Jesus experienced more than, you know, sometimes we want to allow ourselves. Sometimes we can numb ourselves from that darkness and we could numb ourselves in all kinds of different ways. We, we run away from it. Jesus entered fully into the darkness and brokenness of our humanity. And he experienced that forsakenness, that doubt. And so in our own humanity, when we're going into those places, that's actually crucial for us to start to experience that emptiness because then again, you know, just like Thomas, uh, just like St. Paul, it's, it's that spirit of God that's actually able to start moving within us. We, we can only receive, we receive uh, heaven. We receive our faith from God. We can't take it. So that childlike disposition, faith is a receiving, not a taking. And so if God's allowing us to experience an abandonedness or, you know, not even sure if the Eucharist is real or why am I still going to Mass or just that that dryness, then that's, that's part of the faith journey too. And so to actually just take comfort that we're not alone in that, but that this is part of the faith journey, um, 
you know, I would encourage people, you know, not to go through this alone, have a, a, a trusted spiritual friend or a spiritual director or talk to your priest, you know, if you're really starting to go into that, that darkness, but also to allow yourself not to run away from it or not to numb it or not to just try to go and, and make it on your own, but say, okay, I'm going to receive what's happening. A, a friend of mine, her name's Clarissa. She's actually the pastoral associate. She's a consultant here at St. John Eudes in uh, Chatsworth. And she had written an article for the USCCB, uh, and it's in a book, a collection of, of books. It's a response to Pope Francis. Uh, it's called Moving Boldly into the Future. And so this is Pope Francis, Young Adults, Ministry Leaders, and Bishops in Dialogue. And so Clarissa had written an article uh, for uh, this book. And so she was sharing about an experience that she had of doubt and darkness. And this was particularly during uh, COVID. And so just the, you know, all of the sacraments were seemingly, you know, removed from, from all of us and in a physical way. We were able to enter into spiritual communion, but she had gone to a, a visit to St. Joseph's Oratory in Montreal, Canada. That's where uh, St. Brother Andre Bissette uh, had his community. And so as she was walking in there, she, was, uh, she felt drawn to go to confession. And she said she hadn't been to confession in a, in a long time. And so she went to confession and she confessed to the priest that she had been you know, in, in ministry for 20 years and that uh, she just felt completely empty. She said she felt uh, like she had nothing left and uh, that she was no longer a believer. This was her confession. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so as she was going in, you know, she started crying and she acknowledged her own coldness about her faith. And she says, I've had enough. I don't understand the darkness I'm going through. I've got no hope. I've got nothing left. I've lost my faith. I'm done. And she said that the priest behind the screen door was so mild-mannered when he said in his response, with a hint of a chuckle, this is what the priest said, sometimes the only thing to get you started is when you're done. Doubt is what's needed to go forward. So he said, sometimes the only thing to get you started is when you're done. Doubt is what's needed to go forward. And so she, she said, as he shared that, there was a, a, that was the pin that popped her bubble. <laughs> so she started to picture the Heavenly Father smiling at her as he cherished her holy tantrum, as she called it, and managed to make her feel like she was still the apple of his eye. And so she continued, you know, to just reflect on that reconciliation experience because in, in Clarissa's thought and in her prayer, she, she doesn't know how many young people in the world actually experience church the way that she did. She says, you know, are we actually um, allowed that safe space, kind of like you're talking about in Life is Beautiful with Roberto Benini, you know, are we allowed to have those holy tantrums? Are we allowed to have those moments of doubt, those moments of, of darkness? And is it still done in a safe space where we're loved? And are we being accompanied through that? So, um, you know, she was just saying, um, 
these are real thoughts, not because they, they need answers nor need fixing. They long for accompanying. Yes. So will someone in the church stay with me, even in that doubt? So I think that's a, it's a great place for all of us, both you know, in the church, whether we're, we've got family and friends who maybe are experiencing some, some doubt, or maybe we're going through that. Are we able to just feel God's presence through that darkness? And, and he, he always gives us a choice, that free will. We can turn toward, we can turn away, we can toward, to, turn toward everything, we can turn toward nothing. And our pastor, who reminded me, he told a, is a short but great story about this young man who came in for spiritual direction. And he said, I don't know what to do. I can't make this decision and I feel like I'm dying. And the priest said, then die. And, you know, there again, kind of like with her experience, on the other side of that is a resurrection. And to not be afraid of that. And it then you just don't know how our Lord will hold our hand and thinking, I know you just got back from the Holy Land, but so thinking about like the Sea of Galilee and the beautiful account of the apostles in the boat and our Lord walking on water, calling to Mm -hmm. Peter, and he follows. And then when the wind picks up and he begins to doubt, he cries out to the Lord and he begins to sink. And our Lord takes his hand and says, oh, ye little face, what faith, why did you doubt? And, you know, of course, because throughout, of course, the Old and New Testament, he knows our heart. And that, I think, it, it brings us, you give and take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, you look at Job, absolute desolation, but so he loves God for God's sake. Sometimes we think we're depending on God, we trust in God, but it's really us we're trusting in. And so mm. you think sometimes we need to be shaken like that and be reminded of what am I putting my trust in really? And, you know, sometimes we can't get to those places without those crises of faith. And to that point, I want to take Jose. He's been patiently on the line from California to add to the conversation. We're talking about doubt here on The Inner Life. Our spiritual director is Father Ethan Southard. And I'm Brooke Taylor, filling in for Patrick Conley. And you're with us. Hi, Jose. Welcome to the show. So I've struggled with doubt um, in my teenage, when I was a teenager, and I've gone to confessions and, you know, priests have been, you know, very, you know, they've been really kind to me and they've been really straightforward with me. And I, I came to the conclusion that Jesus just loves me and he wants to save me more than I want to save myself. And what that, you know, when I realized that, what, what it helped, it just helped me trust in the Lord even more and stop looking at God like, like, like it, always looking for validation from God. Like, for example... I always thought, okay, I pray this much, I pray this hard, and 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 I get no response. And then I, I come to the conclusion that God is, God is God, and you know He loves me. And when I'm praying and praying, that's me doing an action, expecting an instant result, and that's where I feel like I really, you know, where I messed up because uh, when I what I mean by validation, um, let's say I'm in a parking lot and I. And I park my car, and I hit the key, the the button, uh, on my on my alarm, and I hear the alarm, and that validates, okay, my car is locked. Well, God is not like that, you know. Um, God, you know, God is God. You know, he he will sometimes, you know, uh, show proof. He's had showed a lot of proof for me and what he's done for me, uh, but he he's not like like uh, you said it and forget it. If that makes sense. <laughs> Really good, yeah. Father? Yeah, thank you, Jose. 
Thank you. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, sometimes yeah. we think of God almost in a transactional way where it's like, well, I did this, God, now you have to do this for me. And like you said, you're, <laughs> you've come to the point where you just realize like, okay, well, you know, God isn't transactional. Um, and sometimes, you know, our ideas of who God is or our expectations of who God is gets shaken up and we get frustrated. You know, this Saturday, we're going to celebrate the feast of um, Martha, Mary and Lazarus. And um, Brooke, yeah, you mentioned I just got back from the Holy Land and that was just a really powerful place, you know, at Bethany, um, yeah. just to be in, in that that town and in, in the space where Jesus went to rest. But in that account, you know, Martha had a version. She had her own idea of who Jesus is and what would please him. And so she was trying to please Jesus. And that wasn't, that wasn't Jesus's idea of what he wanted. And so she got frustrated and, you know, and then Jesus was, was trying to draw Martha into the place where Mary, she was starting to understand, and she was receiving who Jesus is. So, Jose, uh, you know, I love just, you know, your reflection and just sharing, you know, that even in your own life, you know, you're letting go of, you know, your own expectations or idea of who God is and the signs that he's supposed to give and the affirmations that you want. And, you know, you're, you're being drawn deeper. It sounds to me like you're being drawn deeper into a, a more intimate union with God. And that's only something that, that can be received. You know, you can't make love happen. You, you receive love. You let it grow like a flower. And so within our own selves, as we're starting to relax and loosen up and let that love that's already there be revealed, that's a beautiful thing. And one thing that might be helpful too is that the thing that you're doubting lean into it maybe it is in the real presence of christ in the blessed sacrament research eucharistic miracles look at because there is proof beyond a reasonable doubt you can see throughout the world and back through time the greatest minds in the world have come to find the catholic faith to be true and we stand on the shoulders of giants and they have done their research they have tested the spirit and you know from aquinas aquinas writes so much so maybe you're you you more on the stoic side or rational thought or scientific we have so many things i remember my oldest son is a teenager was struggling with doubt and he said well to me and I'll never forget it because I just tried to remain calm but inside I was saying what he said you don't value free thought you're not a free thinker and so I just said okay well what is it specifically that you don't think I'm a free thinker and also where what are the areas that you're struggling in so that I can provide you you know he loves astronomy okay let's look at Copernicus let's look at Newton let's look at uh, Galileo and what they had to say about the creator of the universe and God and maybe father like you were referencing your friend who's having a true dark night of the soul to go into the memoirs of these great saints like St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Calcutta and see what they experienced. And, you know, on the other side of that, I mean, what do you have to lose, right? So the more that you enter into, I, I'm going to make this a good attempt, because that's, I think, too, is sometimes people just, maybe, like we were talking in the beginning, they don't have that beginning confidence, and then something shakes or something um, clouds them or 
blinds them in some way. And we can talk about spiritual warfare with that as well. And they just harden their heart and they make up their mind and that's all there is to it. And so this, I think, whether it's we love someone or we ourselves are struggling with that is an invitation to go deeper and just to see. And you might find on the other side, this great proclamation like Thomas said. So that's our prayer. We have to take a quick break. Father Ethan Southard is with us as our spiritual director, guiding us through a deeper understanding of doubt. And we have much more on the other side of the break. one 914 9 is our studio line. We have some time to take some calls. If you have thoughts or a story, it's Brooke Taylor in for Patrick Conley. More to come after the break here on Relevant Radio and the app. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, invites you to check out The Quest, a five-episode video series on discovering our purpose and living it with courage. Start watching The Quest for free at RelevantRadio.com slash quest. For spiritual direction for your life of faith today, Father Ethan Southard is with us. He's pastor of St. John Youth's Church in Chatsworth, California, our spiritual director for today. As we go deeper into the topic of doubt, how we are to understand doubt in our own life, our interior life, and that it is not incompatible. In fact, it's very much part of the experience of the saints of our of our human journey. I'm Brooke Taylor in for Patrick Conley. And Pope Benedict XVI talks about this when he was Cardinal Ratzinger. He says, there is an unceasing rivalry between doubt and belief, temptation and certainty. Perhaps in precisely this way, doubt, which saves both sides from being shut up in their own worlds, could become the avenue of communication. It prevents both from being completely self-satisfied. It opens up the believer to the doubter, the doubter to the believer. For one, it is his share in the fate of the unbeliever for the other, the form in which belief remains nevertheless a challenge to him. And at the end of the day, it just sounds like humility. That's a big part of it too. And Father, we've been talking a lot about navigating and not running from doubt, but understanding and working through it. And maybe you could share too some reflections or devotions that you might recommend for when we're wrestling with doubt. We talked to the name Israel means to wrestle with God. And do you have any specific prayer prescriptions you might offer? Yeah, um, this is, I think, my favorite uh, prayer for those those times. Ah, oh, ah. St. Paul, in Romans uh, 8.26, uh, he says that there's inexpressible groanings that's the spirit of God lets out inexpressible groaning. So that's just just a, a touch on what it might sound like, but I don't know how groanings could be inexpressible or what emoji <laughs> might fit best fit with the Holy Spirit uh, is groaning within us. But when those things are beyond overwhelming in our lives, there's no words that could explain what that feeling is like. And there's no... There's no emotions or feelings or um, any any prayer. I think the best prayer is just that inexpressible groaning where we just totally surrender and just say, I'm, I'm here, this is all I've got. I remember in my darkest moments, I didn't even know what to say. Um, just in 
I, I called it like a quarter life crisis. I would just go and I would just sit in the church terrified of what to do, of where to move or what, what to say or anything. And I would just abandon myself to God and just say, here I am. Um, Cause I had nowhere else to go. Yeah. I think that, oh boy, is that relatable? Yes. And that I think is, is by design, you know, there is so much in that, in that silence and there is, there's, there's nothing we can say before the cross and whether we're in deep grief or spiritual grief or doubt or desolation, that absolutely I think is is spot on. And I will say, I think that was the first time a yell was ever incorporated in spiritual direction <laughs> that I've had. So that that's really good and to the point and, and real. So thank you for that. We have just a bunch of calls and I know that we won't have time um, to get to them all. I want to try to get to Barbara. She's been on the line because we didn't father yet really have a chance to fully explore the spiritual combat aspect of doubt. C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters, we hear this is a strategy. This is a tactic. And how can we work with that or understand it or discern it? Barbara um, has a thought and you're with us from Los Angeles. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Hello, father. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Father, I've been listening to what you've been saying, and I was told that when you have doubt or when you can't make your holy hour or that it's coming from the devil, is that true? Well, I think the devil can um, certainly use um, doubt, and the devil is always coming at us in in every which way to try to get us to... um, you know, uh, sin, especially in those moments, you know, the devil uh, needs our permission. And so he's going to tempt us and he's going to push us. Uh, and he comes, especially during those, those moments. Um, but th- that's also like a threshold. So those moments could, could be a time of temptation where we, we want to numb ourselves or we start to act out because it's uncomfortable but those moments are also a threshold where we could actually be moving into a deeper union with God. Um, so it's that in and of itself, the doubt in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but how are we responding to it? Are we responding with a, a place where we're also saying, okay, God, I've got nothing left and I don't even know that you're there you know, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me in this moment. Um, there's a, a surrendering of our will, and we participate in that. We, we actually need our will to surrender our will with God's grace. And if, if we're moving in that poverty of spirit, it could be a great breakthrough because it's actually God's own spirit that starts to respond and move in us. But if if we're reacting and fighting kind of like Peter in the garden and we start to cut people's ears off where we start to act out of that uncomfortability, then that, that could be where the devil really starts to come at us. But that's a great question, Barbara. Good direction. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Barbara. Uh, again, we are, our clock is ticking and running out of time, but I want to take Joseph. Joseph, could you be brief? But I want to get your point on because it's important in Sacramento. Thank you for holding. You're with us. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. And I just wanted to say that uh, your show and Father's words this morning 
pierced me like a sword, like the Word of God, because what of what I heard from Father, I feel very, very affirmed that all these years, I started visiting the Blessed Sacrament faithfully since 1985 to present, and all those years that I've felt this total loss, total abandonment, total reliance with all my worries and all these, you know, thoughts. Uh, I, I have mental illness as well. I always brought that before the Blessed Sacrament, and for some inexplicable reason, not every single time, but most times, I walk away with a certain kind of joy, mm. a hope that that if the world ended the moment I walked out of that church or if I died, you know, that it's okay. I just want to share that, Father, and thank you for sharing your words because you just affirmed that all those feelings I had were positive in, in a sense that they're negative, but yet it was needed for, for, for me to hear that that is what total abandonment means, total humility, total reliance. I just wanted to share that. Joseph, thank you so much, and thank you for your openness, you know, just with your own struggles. And, uh, you know, I had mentioned to Brooke, we had just uh, come back from our our Holy Land trip, and a friend of mine, uh, she has mental illness, severe depression and darkness, and um, she was open and shared, you know, one, one of the evenings with our whole group. And one of the other gentlemen in our group, he's a great ministry leader, and he says, you know what? He says, and this is just kind of like Peter and the boat, just like we were reflecting on that scene in the Sea of Galilee when Peter got out. And even though he started to sink, he says, you know what? He says, you got out of the boat. He says, you might have failed. You might start sinking, but you're getting out of the boat. We're staying in the boat. We have to get out. And so, Joseph, that's what I hear with you. You're getting out of the boat and you're going in and you're finding your your salvation and your your peace and, and the love of God. That's a beautiful way to conclude. We only have about 20 seconds. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you for that, Father. Forgive me for kind of rushing you, but we want to get your blessing. Could you bless us as we wrap up this hour of inner life? Of course. Uh, the Lord be with you. And may Almighty God continue to give you the grace to give you His Spirit to get out of the boat. Even if you fail, even if we sink, that we would have the grace to continue walking in this journey of faith. May God continue to bless you and fill you with His Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father Ethan Southard, pastor of St. John Youth's Church, I'm Brooke Taylor. This is The Inner Life. God bless you.